Jason. We're going to open up Galatians chapter 6 today, verses 7 through 10. If you brought your Bible, great. Uh, you can open it up. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can use your phone. There's also some right in the pews there, those big blue books. You can open up to Galatians towards the end of your Bible, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10. That's where we've been, uh, and we're just doing a short series in Galatians. And we're learning what it means to sow things into our life or plant things into our life that grow later. Because Scripture says that's how it works. There's a book by Charles Duhigg called The Power of Habits. It was really popular Oh, gosh, probably 2014, 2015. And one of the main ideas of the book is that the choices you make create habits, and those habits create character, really, and that character sets your destiny. That's similar to what we're learning in Galatians, isn't it? And it's true. The choices that you make are making you. Those choices that you make are becoming habits. Those habits are becoming character, and that character is setting the direction and the azimuth of your life. In the church, we're really good at understanding what the Bible says, but we're not always good at believing it. We would like to think that spiritual formation or just the shaping of our character by grace and by God is something that happens at church or in your small group or when you read the Bible. And that's just not true. It does happen then, but your life is being shaped right now by the things that you're growing, the things that you're planting into your life. So a couple weeks ago, we learned as we began this series that whatever you sow into your life is growing in your life. The things that you plant into your life 24-7 are growing. Now, it might take years or it might take weeks, but those things will grow in your life and they will reap a harvest. If you sow love, you can expect love. If you sow hate, you can expect hate. It's, it's very clear, but there's more to it because God's word is more than information. It is information like the Power of Habits book, but there's more to it because it's from God and his word actually does shape us. So the last time we talked about this, we talked more about the sowing to the flesh. Planting those things that seem right to us. And the flesh is just our instincts, our desires, our appetites, those things that are base to us, that seem right to us. We want to be in charge of our own lives. We want to be in charge of our own happiness. We have instincts and appetites and desires, and we are absolutely convinced if we want to have a good and a happy life, we need to sow to those things, or we need to follow those. But Scripture says that's sowing to the flesh. And the reason it calls it flesh is because it's picking up on this idea that in and of ourselves, there's something dark in us. Not that everything that we do is dark, but at the end of the day, we want to be the Lord of our lives, and we find it unacceptable that God would ask us to submit or surrender our lives to him. And so we sow to the flesh. 
And I don't know, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're like, well, I don't know, that sounds kind of weird. Um, but, but understand this, we all want to have our life look like a certain thing, don't we? We want, to, we want our life to, to go well. And whether you're a Christian or not, there's always a gap between what you believe, in other words, how you think life should go, and how your life is actually going. If you are a Christian, meaning you're, you're trusting in Jesus, you're a disciple of Jesus, there's a big gap between what you believe and how your life looks. We believe in the gospel. We believe in salvation. We believe that Jesus is working in us now. But honestly, there's usually one or two or maybe even three things in your life that just, it just won't turn. I've fought it for years, and it just doesn't work. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. Uh, maybe it's greed. Maybe you have a string of broken relationships, and that you just can't figure out what to do about that. It feels like growing wheat in the desert. It just won't stick. So we want to today, and next week as well, we want to talk about what Galatians offers us. This idea that we don't have to sow to the flesh. We actually have the permission and the power to sow life. So we're going to go there today. We're going to pick right up in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7, all the way through 10. Now, we're going to focus on, for the most part, 8, and understand that the big thesis of Galatians is that when you heard the gospel and you believed that your righteousness or your rightness before God comes as a gift to you, it's not something that you earn before God, and it's not something uh, that you can do that earns your favor before him. In other words, belief isn't a process of becoming. It actually creates you new. And if you believe that the things you do will change who you are, then you're misunderstanding the gospel. Paul preached the gospel of grace to the church in Galatia, up in Turkey, and they received it, and later he heard they were teaching that you must obey the law for God to love you, and that your righteousness is on you, not on God. And if that's the case, we're all in trouble. So as he gets to the end of the book here, he's showing what the gospel of grace looks like in your life, what it looks like in real time. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we, we would believe this, Lord, yet we don't see it in our own lives the way it seems to teach in your word. So we ask for the great mercy that you would be here with us today, 
that you'd pour out your spirit, Lord, and that you would illuminate your word. That you would give us the privilege of your presence, Jesus, that you would walk among your churches today, that you would bless us, and that we might behold your beauty, that we might behold your treasure in this word. So we submit ourselves to you and to this word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here's where we are. Sowing to the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, sowing to the Spirit, based on our text, means this. It means that when you are sowing to the Spirit, it will develop character in you. That is, one, growing out of the Word of God, and two, empowered by the Spirit of God. So we want to understand this, what the text is talking about, sowing to the Spirit. What does it mean to sow to the Spirit? Well, if you are sowing to the Spirit, it is going to shape you and change you. It will develop character in your life, but it's not enough just to have information. If it were, we would not need Scripture. We could read a book like The Power of Habits and become righteous. But that's not true. We know that. We try hard, and we just never quite get there, or it never sticks. So sowing to the Spirit is going to develop character in you that first grows out of the Word of God, and secondly, is empowered by the Spirit of God. So let's look at those two ideas as we understand what it means to sow to the Spirit. First, we must understand that the Word of God is alive. This is different than information. The Word of God is different than just words or stories or concepts. The Word of God is alive. Now, we say that because we believe, as Scripture teaches us, that it is illuminated not just by the Holy Spirit, but inspired. God himself reveals himself through communication. It's the same way that any relationship works. If you want to know somebody, they must reveal themselves to you through words. It's called communication. That's how you learn about somebody. That's how you learn to understand them and to love them and to know them. They must reveal themselves to you. God reveals himself to us through his word. And that word is different than just information. It's power, it's living, it's active. Let me just take you right back to Genesis to see how this word is invested with overwhelming power. Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the Bible. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it to you. In verse 3, it says, And God said, quote, Let there be light, and there was light. So God's words are different than our words in a few ways. And this shows us the key way is that his word is actually creative. When he speaks, he brings things into existence that are not there. It's invested with incredible power. So when we listen to the word of God, when we understand it, when we believe it, when we choose to obey it, when we choose to yield to the spirit of God who's invested in this word of God, it will necessarily change who you are. Now the big difference between God's words and our words is that there's no difference between who God is and what God says and what he's de- when he does. There's no divorce between any of that. Who God is can be understood by what God says, can be seen by what God does. So when we understand we are sowing to the Spirit, we must first know that this grows out of his word. It's just not understanding what is right. It's understanding that his word is powerful. Here's a verse you've probably heard before. I'll just, 
I'll read it to you. It's out of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is living and active. So it's alive. Sharper than any two-edged sword. So it cuts both ways. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So one of the ways that God's word is different than ours, one of the characteristics it has, is that it's living and active. And here's what that feels like. When you're willing to read the word of God and you're willing to receive it, it will actually read you. It becomes alive in you. It discerns your thoughts. It discerns what you think you mean by what you said. It can actually read you. If we, if we receive the word of God and we listen to it, it will listen to us. It will read us. So it's active in your life. It's more than just information. And you must know it. If you want to sow to the spirit of God, it has to grow out of the word of God, first and foremost. Now, you can catch it from other people. You can say, oh, that person's living in a way that I think is helpful and, and good. That person's a Christian. I want to be like that. That's great. That's part of the community. But there's no way to plant or sow to the Spirit of God without understanding the Word of God. You have to. Uh, there's this idea of epistemology or knowledge that goes something like this. The first level of it is information. Do you know the information? Secondly is assent. Do you believe the information? And lastly is belief or trust. Do you believe or trust the information? It's the same with God's word and the gospel. Do you, believe, do you understand or know the events of the gospel? That God has written himself into the story of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ, God the Son, such that Jesus actually lived a faithful, true, and honest life. And then he was given up or he gave himself up as a sacrifice, stood in our place to receive our punishment, kicks open the doors of hell through resurrection, ascends to the right hand of the Father, and then sends the Spirit of God that we might know him truly. This is information. Do you know it? Secondly, do you assent to it? Do you believe it? And we know that if we put the weight of our lives onto it. Think of it this way. Um, I think C.S. Lewis said this. You can use a piece of string to wrap a package, and it's useful. But you'll know if you really trust that string if you use it to repel down a cliff. That's trust. That's belief. That's faith. Uh, I used to fly for a living. I remember being in Columbia, South Carolina, one hot summer afternoon as it gets down south. Um, and it's always full down there. We think we're taking a flight back into Charlotte, and there's an Air Force base down there, and I think an Army base. And so it's always full of airmen and soldiers, and we were ready to go, and one of the flight attendants came up and said, hey, we, um, somebody's not going to board. I'm like, okay, well, let's go. She's like, no, nah, he's, he's down there. I'm looking around, oh, what's he doing down there? It's an airman. He doesn't want to get on the plane. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, this is going to go badly. So let me go down there and, and talk to him. And uh, he was like, yes, sir, I... What, I don't want to get on the plane. I've never been on an airplane before. I said, hey, listen, this plane is safe. This is what a plane does. This is the information level. It's got two wings. It flies. It's going to get us to Charlotte. That's what it does. He said, yes, I know that. Um, I, I, I believe you're right. I'm like, I have a family. I wouldn't do this if it wasn't safe. So 
you know, you need to like go up the stairs, go sit down. It's like 30, 40 minute flight. It's not even bumpy today. Um, it's okay. We're going to get you there. And so he's like, okay. So he walks up the stairs, gets onto the plane. He turns and he looks down the aisle. He looks back down the stairs. He runs down the stairs. He turns to go back into the gate, and there's his sergeant, who's like six foot five and just like ripped, you know? And so he starts running across the airport, and the sergeant takes off after him. I don't know how it ended. We had to go. Um, <laughs> right? I felt very bad for him. I did. I mean, he was young. He was probably freaked out. Um, who knows? Maybe he was getting deployed. But he hadn't reached the level of belief when it comes to the airplane. He was not willing to put his life in that plane. He wasn't willing to trust everything he knew about it. That's how faith works. So when scripture talks about belief or faith or trust, it's not just an empty hope without evidence. It's choosing to believe and trust the evidence that God has given you, that he knows you, that he loves you, that if you will receive him, you'll trust him, you'll become a new person. You will, you will experience what this text calls eternal life. This, this young airman wasn't having it. And honestly, when it comes to believing God's word, a lot of times that's where we stop. God's word will only grow in the soil of belief. You have to know it. You have to understand it. That's what we do in a community. This is why we preach. This is why we have community groups. But we together learn how to trust God because his words are hard sometimes. And they go against everything that I want sometimes. Everything that I've believed about life, everything that I believe will keep me happy seems to be disrupted by his word at times. And so it doesn't seem reasonable that I would submit myself to God, if he really loved me, why wouldn't he let me do this? Or why is he overturning my life? So that's where the trust comes in. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. So think of a gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Then Jesus says, already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now, he's about to be executed. This is hours before he's arrested, and he's speaking to his disciples, but he's praying, and he's speaking to them. And he says, already, the word that I've spoken to you, if you will trust me, I have already cleaned you. The work that I'm going to do has cleaned you. Just trust me. Just hold on. Then he goes, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me. And then in verse 7 of John 15, he says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. If you want to sow to the Spirit and see that Spirit develop the character that God desires for your life, it has got to grow out of the Word of God. It has got to go beyond an association with the Bible. It has got to go beyond, I've heard that story before. It's got to go beyond, yeah, I think I heard that in Sunday school. Or I listen to scripture when you say it. You have got to let that word live in you. It's meant for that. Has anybody here ever seen a redwood tree? 
few people. They're massive. There's a tree in Hummel County, California, which grows a lot of things, actually. Uh, there's a tree there that is called Helios, and it's a massive, giant sequoia. And they think it's about almost 2,100 years old. And it's about 375 feet tall. Do you know what grew that tree? A seed about the size of a tomato seed. Did you know that in that seed was all the genetic material needed to grow Helios, 375 feet tall, to make it a massive giant sequoia, to endure ages and seasons for 2,000 plus years? Friends, God, God's power is invested in his word and released through faith and empowered by his spirit. You will not get to enjoy that unless you allow his word to live in you. This is why we preach it. It's not just a life lesson. We really believe the spirit of God works through his word. God works through his word. And his word is living and it's active and it's powerful. So it grows from the word. Is, that, is it alive in you? Do you let it live in you? Do you even memorize it? Do you apply it? Do you speak it to one another? So if we're going to sow the spirit and develop that character first, it must grow out of the word of God. Secondly, it must be empowered by the spirit of God. This text, chapter 8 or verse 8 says, if we sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. So what does this mean? Well, here's what it means in essence. If you're trusting in Jesus, if you're by faith holding on to the promise that he's given you, then no matter what you face, you are never outnumbered. You hear that? If, you are, if you're going to trust in Jesus, if you're going to receive the gift that he has, no matter what you're facing in life, no matter how big, no matter small, no matter how overwhelming, you are never outnumbered. It is true. You need more than what you can do. Even as we listen to this, you're like, oh, that sounds great, but like, how long is that really going to last? You need more than that. Well, the church can help me. That is true. The gospel creates a family. But you need more than that. So this is where God the Holy Spirit, or as the text says, the Spirit. Note that that word Spirit is capitalized. That's because that word indicates not the essence of something or the core of something. That word actually indicates a person, God the Holy Spirit. So we haven't talked about this for a long time, but God, the word we use is Trinity, the idea of God's personhood stretches our idea of oneness. We are told that God is one. That is very clear. There aren't three different gods. But the oneness of God is this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Eternally existent in perfect fellowship. God is both a friend and has friends in and of himself. This is really important for you to understand. Because if that's not true, then, the creation, then you being created by God, well, maybe God needed something from you. He doesn't. How can God be love if in and of himself he doesn't understand that? He doesn't practice that between Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Very important. 
So the fact that Jesus pours out the Spirit on his church means that you have a partner. God is completely invested in the success of your life. Well, the way I want it to go? No, the way he wants it to go, which is actually the way you want it to go. So God, the Holy Spirit, reveals Jesus to you, much like a spotlight. He takes the work that Jesus has accomplished, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, and he shows that to you. He illuminates that work through his word. He applies it to your life. In other words, he makes God real to you. The Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, is the power and the presence of the living God. So there's no way to know God. There's no way to obey his word. There's no way to understand his word if we're not willing to have the Spirit of God empower us. Well, how does he do that? Well, there's several ways. Scripture talks about him bringing us to new life. As we hear the word and we believe it, we be, something becomes alive in us. Something starts to live in us, even at a kernel level, where we want to know God. We want to know him and love him and serve him and trust him and enjoy him forever. The Spirit of God does that. But the Spirit of God works at the desire level in your life. Remember we talked about the flesh, how the flesh, that sin nature, wants my life my way for my purposes always? In many ways, that turns back in on itself because you are not created to live for yourself. You are created to live for the living God. That's what scripture calls worship. You were created to be an image bearer of the living God. You were meant in your essence to reflect his goodness, his holiness, his grace, his love, his power to all of creation. That means to the person sitting next to you in the pew. That means to your parents. That means to your friends. That means to your employer. You are meant to reflect him, not resemble him, really. That's not what image bearing means in scripture. It means that you're meant to reflect him like a mirror. And our desires get in the way because we really believe we know what we need to make us happy. Chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have desires involved. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Oh, so is the Holy Spirit just about quelling desire? No. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. So the Spirit actually brings to life desires in you, appetites in you for God's Word. Courage to actually love sacrificially. Because knowing God transforms your whole life and it will call you to do things that you never would have done on your own. So the Spirit implants desires into you and makes God real to you. So sowing to the Spirit is really partnering with God. It's allowing Him to have control. Well, what does it look like in my life? We read this a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read it again. Galatians 5. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, so if we're sowing to the Spirit and we're doing that by allowing the Word to grow in us, allowing the Spirit to empower these things, 
what should it look like? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, that means have killed the flesh, those sinful desires, with its passion and its desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So part of sowing to the Spirit and letting that grow out of God's Word and letting that being powered by the Spirit is keeping in step with the desires that the Spirit is putting into your life. And many times those are in conflict. It feels like an internal war. I want to do this. My appetite, my sinful nature wants to do this, but I know because I've heard his word, I've read scripture, or a Christian friend of mine told me, no, you should live like this. There's another desire that's at war in me. So you get a choice. Sowing to the Spirit is this. You get to feed one desire. It took me forever to figure this out. I wanted to feed my flesh just enough not to feel like a bad Christian or hide most of it so people wouldn't see it, but then I also wanted to sow to the Spirit or feed the Spirit or plant that in my life so I felt like I was obeying God. It doesn't work. It tears you apart. This is very much what the Christian life feels like many times. All of life feels like. But you can feed one desire. One of them. You get to choose. Sowing to the Spirit. So how do you do that? Well, briefly, sowing to the Spirit requires, one, denying your natural desire. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, let's say that I have a friend that lost a job and they need like a thousand bucks to make rent. And I have $3,000 in savings. And I really wanted a vacation with my friends this spring. And if I give that person a thousand bucks... I ain't going on vacation, and I really need it. I'm losing my mind. COVID's worn me out. But the Spirit, right? Love God, love others. Do good to all. We're going to get there next week. says, give it to them. What? But deny that desire, put it to death. And believe God's word. So first is deny that desire. Secondly is to believe God's word. It's better to give than receive. God says that. Well, it doesn't feel better to me. It doesn't seem like that's going to be a better outcome. Understood. That's where the believing and trusting comes in. So you deny that natural desire. You believe God's word. And then you do what God desires. That's the thing that we normally stop at. So do it. Then mail your friend a thousand bucks. This is a gift. Why? I don't know. God's given me a lot. Thanks. And God shows up. When that stuff starts to go on in your life, you cannot stop it. It will take you over like wildfire. When you start to sow to the Spirit by letting God's Word lead you and letting the Spirit empower your life, it will get away from you. And it's amazing. This is what God wants from you. This is how he's going to shape you into the likeness of his son. So deny what's natural, believe God's word, and do what God desires. That's, that's one way to look at this. This is how we sow to the spirit. So many of you know, um, I've told you this, that I'm in, the tra- I'm in the process of transitioning out of lead pastor for Portico Church. 
And this has been a very difficult position or decision to make, and we talked about that a few weeks ago. And if this is the first time you're hearing that, well, I'm sorry, like it's, it's a lot of information. We're going to talk about it at our member gathering um, next Saturday morning, and I'm, everybody's invited to that. And it's, this is not a sad story. It's a hard story, but God is all over this, and I'm really encouraged by it. But I'm transitioning to become lead pastor of Portico Church in Charlottesville, Virginia, the church that planted us. And I, believe, I know this is what God has called me to do, and I know our, our leaders are sending us, and we're asking you to send us um, to do this. But I had last week to go to a member gathering at Portico Church Charlottesville on Thursday where they were going to introduce me as their coming lead pastor. And that sounds great, but it really puts me in a position where nobody likes me, which is a hard thing for me, right? You guys are like, well, great. Um, and they're kind of like, who are you? And so it puts me in an awkward position, not to mention the member gathering that they had in December was not good. This church is hurt. This church is wounded. This church is fearful. This church doesn't know what's going to happen. So that member gathering in, on, um, in December went till 11 o'clock at night. Who does that? They were sad. They wanted answers. So I'm going to a member gathering on Thursday, and I'm expecting it to be an absolute dumpster fire. But I know this is what God called me to do. So I had to, I wanted to go, I wanted to run, folks. I just wanted to come back and forget it never, just forget it ever happened. But I, I, I had fear, intense fear. I had to deny that fear and its control in my life. And then I had to believe, well, how did that happen? Well, God works through those that you're with many times. And somebody in this church was praying over me, Psalm 27. And the initials of this person are Andrew Owen. <laughs> Andrew and Kate and Owen, who happens to be one of our leaders, said, we've been praying this for you. And let me tell you the verse that stuck with me, the part of Psalm 27. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So I chose to believe it, and so that meant I, I did it. I did God's desire. I went. We had a member gathering. Church is full. And they knew I was coming because they sent a letter about it. And during that member gathering, one of their pastors stood up and he apologized. He repented. Amen. And he humbled himself. Somebody stood up. I'm like, here we go. That person said, I forgive you. And the Spirit of God broke out in that place like I've never seen it. And you could hear the gates of hell being shaken. And the air came back in the room. And God showed up in a way I've never seen in that church. It was amazing. Now, there's a lot of hard work to go. And we have hard work here, too, because we're in transition. But my point is this. I had to yield to the Spirit of God in this. I had to believe that God's way was better than my way, that God's provision was bigger, bigger than my fear, and honestly, so did they. And I had to do it. I had to show up. Friends, if you're going to sow to the Spirit of God, you're going to need to deny some desires that you have. Because honestly, your deepest desire is you want to be the Lord of your own life. 
And maybe that's where you're at. You're like, well, I am the Lord of my own life. So for you, you need to deny that because you have a God. You have one who has made you, that loves you, that has serving you, right, even now and listening to his word. And you deny this by turning and repenting and embracing him. And you need to believe that his love is so true and so real that he has given up himself. He's taken on what we deserve and giving you just righteousness and joy and a future and himself. And then you need to walk with his people. Maybe you're like, I am a Christian. Well, maybe you need to deny anger. Maybe you need to believe that God can work you through that, even though you're deeply wounded by somebody. Maybe you need to believe that forgiving unconditionally is very important, even though you're not going to be reconciled with that person because you can't control their behavior. And you need to do it. Maybe you need to deny your need to get drunk every night because it's the only peace you have. And believe that when Ephesians says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit, that what you're really looking for at the bottom of that wine glass is just a little bit of peace. It just keeps slipping away, doesn't it? Because you're so into the flesh. The Spirit can get you there. The Spirit can take you to heaven right now. That's part of reaping eternal life, is that you are reconciled to God right now and you were prepared for a life of eternity with him. And as Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you know the one who sent me, the one true God. And you need to do that. I don't know what you need to deny or believe or to do, but you do, because the Spirit is active here. So don't waste time, because you'll waste your life. And God has given it to you as a gift. Sowing to the Spirit will change you forever. It's only going to happen through the Word of God and through the empowerment of His Spirit. What would it look like if we all did this? That's next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. We do believe you, God. We do believe that your love is so much more than we even understand and that you want us and that our work and our righteousness will never be enough, Lord, to break the gap that we've established, Lord, through sin. But you have filled that gap through Jesus and through his work and through his works and through his life and through his death and through his resurrection. Lord, that is so much more than we could ever ask or hope for. So I pray that we would receive that, that we would deny those things that are killing us, that we would sow to the Spirit, Lord, in belief, and we would follow you. Even now, bring healing. In the name of Jesus, amen.